Advent is a season of preparation, and uh, Advent means coming. We look back at the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, and we prepare our hearts to kind of encounter Christ in a fresh way during the Christmas season, and then we're preparing also to meet Christ again at his second coming. And, uh, of course, this is a season of preparation in terms of getting ready for Christmas. I'm sure all of us are kind of in the full swing of decorations and parties and wrapping up year-end sort of projects. But it's important for us to prepare spiritually during the season, to meet with Christ in a fresh way. And what we have from our Gospel reading this morning is... John the Baptist sent by God to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. This is taking place, of course, right before Jesus began his public ministry. And uh, all the gospel readers make an important point about John the Baptist's ministry, and that is that it was not a man-made movement. This was not something that John the Baptist came up with. This is not a movement of human ingenuity. It really was God sending John the Baptist to prepare people to meet Christ and to embrace the coming of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And that point is made when all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say the same thing when they quote from Isaiah to talk about John the Baptist's ministry. John was fulfilling an ancient prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And Matthew has it here in, 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 um, in verse 3 of, of chapter 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before this, when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, in ancient times, maybe you've heard this, that when a king was coming into a city, the people would go out and they would literally repair the streets, remove the debris, straighten out the the crooks in the road if they could to prepare the way for the coming of the king. And God sent John the Baptist, who was this prophet-like figure, he was a prophet, to prepare for the coming of King Jesus. Now, how did John do that? What was John's message? Well, it's very clear. Repent. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is right here. That's what he's saying. Repentance is the way that we prepare to meet Christ. Repentance is the way we enter into the kingdom of Christ. Repentance is the the path that we always walk down as we're in the kingdom, walking with Christ. We're always called to this life of repentance. What does John mean by this? What does the word repent mean in the way that John the Baptist is using it? What do you think of when you think of repentance? Um, One way to think about it is to confess your sins, to admit that you've been wrong, to say to God that I'm wrong and I've sinned. And that certainly is a part of repentance. We see here that in verse 6, those who came to John to be baptized in the river Jordan were confessing their sins. So repentance, part of it is admitting that you've done something wrong, admitting your sin. And of course, we do that each Sunday. We have this prayer of confession 
But that's not everything that John is talking about here when he talks about repentance. It's not just saying, I'm sorry. And it's more than just feeling sorry for sin. Although that certainly is a part of repentance as well. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow, or the ESV puts it this way, I like the way the ESV puts it, godly grief, godly grief brings about repentance that leads to salvation. So part of repentance is feeling a sense of, uh, 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 of sorrow because I have offended God and maybe I've hurt another person and I'm sorry I've done it. I'm not just sorry for the consequences. I'm not just sorry that I got caught maybe, but I'm sorry that I committed this sin, this offense against God or another person. But that's not the whole thing that John is talking about. It's more than simply saying I'm sorry, confessing sin. It's more than just feeling contrition for sin, although, again, all these are ingredients of it. But really the key here is this sense of change. What what John the Baptist is calling the people to do is to change, to change their mind, to change their thinking, and to change the direction they're going in. That's what this word repentance means that John is reported to have said. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's calling his fellow Jews to do a U-turn in their lifestyle, in the way that they have carried on. He's calling them to do a U-turn and embrace Christ who is the bearer of the kingdom. This is a kind of change that's going to change everything in their life if they embrace it. Their hopes and their dreams are now going to be pinned to Jesus, the Messiah. The way they think about God will be filtered through their understanding of Jesus and the teachings of Christ. Their character will be changed by Christ as they follow him. This is the kind of change that's supposed to change everything. Notice what John says in verse 8 to the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are coming to him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you've turned your life towards God, then there should be a difference in terms of the way your life looks, the outcomes of your life. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't just say, I'm sorry. Don't just feel sorry. Or don't just pretend that you're sorry. But actually turn to God and allow him to change you. That's what John is calling for. Well, of course, that's not an easy message to accept, is it? How how many of us like to change? Don't you love change? And don't you love admitting that you've been wrong or that you're going the wrong way? I had an experience on vacation. Uh, On Monday, we went to the Wisconsin Dells. You know that area of Wisconsin, and they have all these water parks. So uh, for the sake of the kids, we we did a water park for a couple of days in the Wisconsin Dells. And it was was wonderful. But we get there on Monday, and uh, my brother-in-law has his family in his minivan, and I've got my family in my minivan. Can you believe that I got lost using GPS? You can? You've had it happen? It can happen, can it? 
we were going to go to a restaurant, and uh, so I thought I entered it into the GPS, and off we go, back on the highway. Everybody's hungry. The kids are crabby. The adults want to eat. Follow me. I've got it in my GPS. Well, we keep going. We turn to the exit, and, and we're going out into the hinterlands, the fields and pastures of Wisconsin, passing restaurants as we go. And my wife says, I don't think we're going the right way. And with slight, ever so slight irritation in my voice, ah, no, this is what the GPS told me to do. But then I had to finally admit defeat. And uh, for whatever reason, I still haven't figured out. It's probably uh, user error that I didn't get to where I wanted to go. But I hated admitting that to my wife, and I really hated admitting that to my brother-in-law. <laughs> but I got lost. We don't like to admit that we're wrong, that we've gone the wrong way. And so when we see this happening, when we see people actually turning back to God, confessing their sins and admitting that, you know what, I've been going down the wrong road, that's actually the grace of God at work because this doesn't happen naturally. It's not as if I have to say, God, I'm, I, I, I need your forgiveness and then I get the grace. God's grace is going before you if you get to the place where you say, I need forgiveness. I mean, that's a sign of God's supernatural work in your life. And I know many of us here, many of you here have had that happen in your life where you've realized that I was going the wrong way in life and God reached out with his grace and mercy and turned you around. And thanks be to God because that is something that happens supernaturally, something that we resist in the flesh. But God was at work here in this ministry of John the Baptist. And what I see here are two responses to the ministry of John the Baptist and this call to repent, this call to turn around. I think these two responses are still with us today. One response is that people sense their need to repent. They were hungry, spiritually speaking, and they were humble. And so they came out and they listened to John and they were baptized. John, this, this sort of, a wild prophetic figure who dressed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. I don't think he would get a pulpit today in our culture. Do you think? I don't think he would pass the pulpit committee, the pastoral search committee. But you know, God was at work in his ministry. It says in verse 5 that, that people from Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, were going down, literally down into the Jordan Valley. That was quite a hike, and they had to go back up to the city of Jerusalem afterwards, but that's, they were drawn. They went from Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about Jordan were going out to him. Some scholars estimate that hundreds of thousands of people came out to see the, 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 the prophet, John the Baptist. And they had this sense of their spiritual hunger and their need, and they were humble about it because they were baptized, verse 6 tells us, by him in the Jordan River. Jews didn't get baptized. Gentiles got baptized. If a, if a Gentile wanted to become a Jew, this is sort of controversial and not all scholars agree, but I, I think that I side with those who say that there was something called proselyte baptism in this time. That is, somebody who was a convert to Judaism out of the Gentile world had to be baptized. And it was a sign that they needed their sins washed away and their old lifestyle washed away and they were making a fresh start. So Gentiles had to be baptized, but not Jews. 
But John the Baptist is saying to his fellow Jews, no, now you need to turn around. Now you need a fresh start with God. And so many people humbled themselves and received this sort of baptism as a sign of repentance. So they were humble and they were hungry. God was softening their hearts. He was replacing pride with humility. He was melting their stubborn wills because they sensed this need for change. God was at work. They went out to the desert place for a fresh start with God. I wonder if there's somebody here who senses their spiritual hunger for God, who needs a fresh encounter with Christ. Maybe somebody here who's going down a road and they know, they feel this conviction that I'm going down a place I shouldn't go. Uh, Somebody who's maybe making some moral compromises, contemplating an act or a way of thinking. They never would have contemplated a couple of years ago, but now they're starting to go down this road. Or maybe there's somebody here who's filled with anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, and they're tired of feeling that way. They sense the spiritual need for a fresh start with God. Maybe there's somebody here who says, you know what, I've been ignoring God. I've been going my own way. And and you're sensing the futility of that. Let me tell you, the same God who was at work in John the Baptist ministry calling people to turn back to himself is here today. He's at work today calling people to turn around and embrace Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, his pardon, and a fresh start. So many people responded that way. They were hungry. They were humble. But then we see this other group, the scribes and the Pharisees. If some people were hungry and humble, these folks were prideful and presumptuous. They didn't really think they needed what John was offering. He saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, and he said to them, now how about this for seeker-sensitive preaching? You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume. See, he was thinking that they were presumptuous here, that they maybe were just going through the motions. Do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, we really don't need this because of our religious heritage and because we're the keepers, as the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, we're the keepers of this religious heritage. We're the true children of Abraham. We don't need this baptism. And John says, no, don't presume. Don't be prideful. Everyone now is called to turn and embrace what God is doing in Jesus Christ, his son, the Messiah, the king. And you know, there are people today who who really fall into this trap of spiritual presumption. There are some people who've never really turned to God in faith and repentance. They've they've ignored God. God is on the margins of their life. But they think that they're okay because maybe they are a member of a church. Maybe they said the sinner's prayer when they were young. Maybe they've been baptized or they're part of a church and they regularly attend and, and say the prayers and worship with the people of God. But for all intents and purposes, God is not a factor in their life. God is not the center of their life. They, they go throughout life without really considering the, what Christ has commanded and what Christ asks of them. 
And they just sort of put Christ on the margins. Or there are some people in our culture today that that say, you know what, I'm not even sure if God exists, but if God exists, I'm a good person. And if I have to stand before him on the day of judgment, surely he will accept me. It's spiritual presumption because they've never done what the scripture says you must do, which is to turn in faith and repentance. Well, what does it matter? I mean, isn't this just a lifestyle choice? Uh, What does it matter if some people decide to turn and other people don't? Well, if you believe the words of John the Baptist and really the teaching of the New Testament, it matters a great deal. Eternal destiny hangs on it. Look at what John says here. He warns of a judgment to come. He says in verse 10, Even now the axe is laid to the roots of the tree, Every tree, therefore, that that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Even now, with the coming of Christ, there's a judgment that's happening. And those who do not bear fruit, good fruit, are cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then again, the judgment language in verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his weed into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now that's the kind of language we don't like to hear. But here it is. Here is this imagery in Scripture, in the teaching of John the Baptist, and it's in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And the idea is that there is going to be a separation, a day of separation between those who've turned in faith and repentance and those who've resisted the call to come to Christ. And so really, even though this is harsh language and imagery, I think it's coming from a place of compassion because I think John the Baptist really believes what he's saying and he really believes that people are in spiritual danger if they ignore God and rebel against him. And so he's issuing this warning, he's sounding this warning out of compassion for them, as harsh as the language is. I was talking to uh, Bill and Sylvia last night at our chili dinner, and they were talking about the time that they lived uh, near Mount St. Helens before it erupted. And I said to Bill, I said, were there any people that were hurt? Did anybody die in this volcanic eruption? He said, yeah, there were some people because they didn't heed the warning." There was a man on that mountain who lived there, had lived there all his life. He said, oh, it'll never happen. And he died in the volcanic eruption because he was complacent and he thought he knew better. But all throughout Scripture, God is giving us this warning and, of course, we get complacent about it too. But let's hear the warning this morning and let's have compassion for other people who've not turned. People in our family and our friends, let's pray that God will give them the grace of repentance to turn and confess faith in Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. So prepare spiritually this Advent season. That's my challenge to you this morning. Don't let the Advent season go by without really getting alone with God and taking some extra time. If you have to put Put it on your calendar or in your iPhone. I'm going to make an appointment with God this Advent season. I'm going to take some time and consider the direction of my life. And I'm going to listen and see, 
Do I need to change course? Do I need to realign? Am I starting to get away from God and his purposes for my life? Am I making some compromises in my thinking, in my behavior, in the way I treat other people? Do I need to get back on the path? And God will be gracious to call you back to turn around to meet Christ again. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will do this work of repentance in our hearts and minds. Lord, I ask that you would give us this grace. And I pray, Lord, that we would each take some time away, some time apart during this busy season to listen to you, to listen to your voice in the pages of Scripture and to heed the call of the prophets to turn back to you. We thank you that you are a loving Father and that's why you issue these warnings to us. We thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You don't leave us alone. You don't give up on us. We pray for those in, among our family and friends who are walking the opposite path. And we ask God that you will reach them by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Would you